Our theme for this week has been the race taken from Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. I encourage you to commit that to memory. Larry's encourage you to commit Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to memory. And if you did nothing else this week but memorize those verses, I think you would have had a very profitable week among the other things that you've enjoyed here at Yosemite. Thinking about the race, let me announce to you that two nights ago, a young man in his 20s entered into the race. Isn't that great? He went to Calvary. He got into the starting blocks. And he's in the race. Let me announce to you that last night, a young man, a young boy, uh, got the assurance that he is in the race. He didn't know for sure if he was in the race, but he got the assurance. And another young man in his 40s entered into the race last night. And so we're very thankful that God's Word is being heard and being appreciated and being applied in people's lives. The race. If you're open to Hebrews 12, I'm going to read it for you again, beginning in verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. I want to give you a warning about tomorrow morning. Bring your bulletproof vest in the morning. Because we're going to deal with the issue of laying aside not only weights, we're going to talk about those tonight. We're going to talk about the sin that so easily besets us tomorrow. Now, unless you're willing to be honest and be real, you better take a hike tomorrow, go up on the mountain or somewhere. Because we want to dig deep if we can. We don't want to just live a life of make-believe, thinking that we're better than everybody else or just as good. We're very selfish people, really. When you see a group picture, who's the first person you look for? That'll tell you. That'll tell you. And so I want you to think about that tonight. Probably be good if you've got any known sin in your life. Get that clear up before tomorrow. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Then you'd be able to sit there and maybe enjoy. I don't know. But tonight, not only do we want to talk about in this in this series of messages, 
the way that is set before us and the cloud of witnesses that are around us. But tonight we want to talk about the weights. For in verse 1 again, and I'm hoping we're going to get out of verse 1. We haven't got out of it yet, but I'm, I'm looking for the day that we'll get out of verse 1. Notice this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Well, <clears throat> uh, the, the race has a beginning and an ending that we talked about. The race has to be run. It has to be run according to the rules. The race has to be run with patience. We talked about that. We talked about this great cloud of witnesses that are around us, uh, people in the Old Testament, people that you know, people of yesteryear, your neighbors, godly men, books, biographies, missionaries. We've got a great cloud of witnesses around us. But I want to think with you for a moment this evening about weights. Weights are different than sins. If there weren't, he would have just said sins. Weights could be the things that we don't call sin. And maybe they're not sin. And, and, and maybe a weight for men, for me, might be a sin for you. And maybe a weight for you might be a sin for me. I, I don't know exactly how this goes, but I know that there is a difference between weights and sin. We do know that if you're running in a race, the best thing you can do is unload everything you can that would hinder you in the race. I uh, don't really watch a lot of sports. Uh, people ask me, uh, what did you think about the game last night? I don't, I don't know what game you're talking about, you know. Uh, what's your favorite team? I don't have a, I don't even know the teams. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, when I was a boy, I spent all my time hunting bullfrogs and fishing for catfish and I didn't go out for sports and all that stuff. So I, I've never have kept up with it really. But I do know that, uh, about a year or so ago, uh, the Olympics, Summer Olympics were on and I was, I was watching, um, Watching some of the uh, of the events, and I know that everybody that runs wears really skimpy clothes. <laughs> they don't wear jogging suits when they run. Sometimes it's almost immoral, really, for the women. I'm serious. That's how insensitive you become. You laugh at that. That's how insensitive we are. It's a shame, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Fifty years ago, what you see in your Sears catalog was pornography. That's how insensitive we've become. We, we accept that. we got Christian men and women who dress immoral. That's a shame. That's an absolute shame. should never happen. We've become very insensitive. Almost ought to preach on that right now, but I won't. Okay, but I tell you, I like to preach on that. 
Because I don't think we preach on that enough. Morals. Moral purity. I think it's a great need among Christians today. But if I was going to be in a race, I tell you, the last thing I'd do is load myself down with a bunch of pack sacks and boots and heavy equipment and everything else because they would only hinder me in the race. And so these weights are a hindrance. Sometimes they take on different shapes and different sizes. And I'm going to give you a partial list this evening of what I believe could be weights that might hinder us along the way for the believer. Now, some have suggested that the weight that the Israelite might be experiencing might be the Old Testament law. That he keeps going back to that law system. And... Uh, and in and so, and, and some way, that would be a hindrance to him. Okay, you might have accepted Christ. You might be a Christian, but you've got to keep the law too. And that law may, be a, may have been a weight to him. I, I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. But I do know this. Weights are different from out-and-out -out sins that we commit in our lives. Let me give you a few suggestions as what weights could be in your life. Let's turn, first of all, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Mark's Gospel and chapter 10. You might well remember this story. You might remember the man. He was a blind man. His name was Bartimaeus. Let me read in, in verse 46, at the end of the verse, he is sitting by the highway side begging. That's okay because he is a blind man and there was no, uh, uh, there was no help for him. The society didn't help. You gotta beg. You gotta eke out a living as best you can. Let's notice in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more and a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Verse 50. And he, that is blind Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Let me suggest for you that that garment probably re represented all of his material possessions. Probably didn't own a home. Maybe begged a room to sleep in at night or on the street. He's certainly begging along the highway. And he takes that garment, probably the only thing that he owned, the only thing that he had, and in the story, he cast it aside. And let me suggest for you the reason that he did. He didn't want anything to come between him and meeting Jesus Christ. He got it out of the way. He didn't want to be tangled up in it. He didn't want to be hindered by it in any way. Can I make that application? What 
is it? And the closet of your material possessions that you cling to and you hang on to and you will not let go. I think I told you my uh, canoe story before, but I'm going to tell it again. It's a good one. It's a really good one. I always wanted a canoe. For a long time I wanted a canoe. I mean, a man like me, you need a canoe. I mean, I'm just the kind of a man that likes canoes. But I couldn't afford a canoe. They were too expensive. And then one day in the paper, there it is. Uh, canoe and two life jackets and two paddles, 16-foot fiberglass, slightly used, $100. I thought, man, that's for me right there. I thought slightly used. Probably got a hole in it bigger than a basketball, you know. I couldn't wait to drive across town. I got over there. I looked at the thing. The guy might have drug it up on the shore one time, one time. I mean, this thing was perfect. It was brand new. They were moving to England. They didn't know what to do with it. And somehow somebody said, I'll sell it. And they said, I'll take $100 for it. I couldn't give them the $100 fast enough. I said, this is God's provision for me right here. Man, I brought that thing home and I paddled that thing around. And, you know, and I enjoyed that. And I used that, you know. And then it sat for two years, like most toys we buy. Oh, initially, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And then one day, a missionary came along. And, and, and he was with New Tribes Mission, and he said that he was looking for canoes that they could use in their training camp for New Tribes Mission. And my oldest son was just a little boy, and we were sitting at the table, and the missionary was explaining this, and he said, Daddy, you got a canoe you could give him? I said, hush your mouth, boy. You don't know nothing about canoes, I said. That night we go to bed and my wife said, you know, the thing's just collecting leaves out there in the back. I said, honey, you don't know nothing about canoes. We might have a flood, you know. We might have to paddle out of here. I mean, you know, you everybody needs a canoe. I mean, God gave me that canoe. I'm not getting rid of this canoe. What are you talking about? The next morning, the missionary left with my canoe. My boy and my wife got the blessing, and I lost the canoe. They were willing to give it. Of course, it wasn't their canoe, you know. That's a long time ago. I've never got another canoe. You know that? But I'm going to tell you, that stretched me. It really did. And here's a stupid thing, a 16-foot canoe, you know? And it's like that little thing Larry's talking about that had him. Well, it, I wouldn't like to think that it really had me, but, you know, I'll tell you how you can evaluate how important things are to you. How easy do you let them go? That's how you can evaluate that. And God would teach us a greater lesson very shortly when the smoke alarm would go off in our home at 2.30 in the morning. And by the grace of God, my wife, who was expecting our third child, and our two little children and myself got out of that house, and that's all we got out.
and it's all gone. It's amazing, isn't it? All I could think of as I stood on that little knoll of grass and looked back at that house with every material possession that I owned there was this. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's all I could think of. And that was very difficult for me. Blind Bartimaeus is, is taking the only material possession that he has and he throws it away. He doesn't want anything hindering him to, to, to meet the Lord Jesus. He don't want to get tripped up or tangled up or hindered in any way. And listen, he doesn't even know if anybody will take it because he can't see it. Somebody run, grab that and take it. He didn't care. Jesus was more important. How about family? Family more important sometimes. Genesis chapter 12 tells us an incredible story. Abram, get thee out of thy country and out of thy kindred and out of thy father's house. God, why? Because I want you to be completely dependent on me, Abram. Get out of your country. You know, uh, my wife and I have been married 37 years. And uh, I've been in Canada for... Next year will be 40 years I've been in Canada. And if you ask me where I'm from, I most likely will say Mississippi, you know. That's my roots. It's where I grew up. It's where I played in the cotton fields. It's where I fished in the creeks. It's where I hunted on the hills. As a boy, you can't, you know, the, the saying is you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Abram, get out of your country. He may have physically left, but what ties were there? Uh, get out of your kindred. That's your extended family. That's your security. There's no policeman. Tom, where are you? No policeman in no days to take care of you. Your family was your protection, your extended family, and that circle of friends. But but not just that extended family, which might be your, your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and all that, but get out of your father's house, Abram. Well, that, there's my inheritance. <laughs> They're the people that love me. I mean, this is all I got. If I leave my country, if I leave my kindred, if I leave my father's house, what have I got left? God. That's where He wanted Him. I got saved in 1970. I told you that. August the 29th, 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, within a month, my mom and dad got saved. My sisters got saved. I told you all that. This is this is 1972 now, two years later. I'm in Bible school. I believe God led me to this little Bible school. I'm, I'm where God wanted me to be, I thought. I get a phone call from my mother. I love my mother. My mother... She was, yeah, listen, you got many friends and maybe other siblings. You got one mother. I'm going to tell you, there's something about it. When David wanted to express 
his, his hurt, his grief, his mourning. He said, I grieved and mourned like one that mourns for his mother. There's something about that. My mother called me and she said, your, your father's got to have a very serious operation. He's going to be off work indefinitely. We don't know how we're going to make it financially, son. We've never asked you to do anything before. Can you come home and get a job and help us financially? I don't, we're not going to be able to make it. Now, I believe that God wanted me to go to Bible school, and I'm in Canada in Bible school, and my parents are in Mississippi. There wouldn't be anybody here that would condemn me if I said, I'm going to put Bible school off for a year or whatever I have to do. I'm going to go home and help my parents. They provided for me all of my life. They never asked one thing. And now they're asking me to help. And wouldn't be anybody here that condemn you for doing that. I said to my mother, Mom, I said, I'm going to have to pray about that. She didn't understand that. I prayed about that for a couple of days. I think one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life was pick up that phone and call my mother and say, Mom, I'm not going to come home. I wanted to go home. That's what I wanted to do. But I did not believe God wanted me to go home. My mother cried. She didn't understand that. She didn't say much. She didn't argue. It broke her heart. And it broke my heart, too. My dad had the operation. It was very serious. But it went better than they thought. And the company that he worked for decided to give him full pay the whole time that he was off. Listen, sometimes you got to do hard things. Sometimes family can be a weight. Not that you don't love them. Not that you wouldn't do anything for them. But sometimes God's call on your life is higher than the family's call. Listen, the Lord Jesus settled that issue on the cross. It was the third cry from the cross. You read it in John 19 where he says, Woman, behold thy son. And to John, the beloved disciple, he said, Behold thy mother. In that very act from the cross, in those words, he was, he was taking the responsibility that he had and he was asking his disciple John to fulfill that responsibility. Why? Because he had to stay at the cross. He couldn't go home. He couldn't go back to family. He couldn't just work in Joseph's carpenter shop. But he was going to take care of his mother. But he had to deny family ties and family responsibilities in order to do the will of God and the work of God. And so he commissioned John. It's kind of interesting, really. He said, John, would you substitute for me? Imagine that. Substituting for the substitute. That's exactly what John did. He took her, unlike some modern-day movies, he took her that very hour to his own home and fulfilled that responsibility. It must have broke her heart. 
Woman! He didn't even call her mother. I don't think he ever called her mother, actually, in the Scriptures. And these are very difficult things. But let me tell you, like Abraham of old, sometimes you have got to break the family ties. You've got to cut the apron strings. You have got to go along with God. And sometimes family can be a hindrance. Didn't the Lord say, if you're going to be my disciple, that you've got to compare the love that you have with me and the love that you have with your family? And in that respect, it has got to be like hate to your family. Not that you hate your family, but in that, in that comparison, it's got to be like that. If a man hate not his mother or his father or his brothers or his sisters or his own life also... And follow me, he cannot be my disciple. You remember when Lazarus was raised? The Lord Jesus said to the, to the servants, Loose him and let him go. Did you ever wonder how he came out of the tomb? Did he hop? I mean, I don't know how he came. Did he float? I don't know how he came. He was bound up though, wasn't he? And he said to the servants, Loose him and let him go. Why? Because he couldn't go on. He couldn't live. He couldn't walk. He had no life. He was bound up. And those grave clothes could represent for us the things of life that bind us up. The old habits. Not necessarily sins. The old ambitions. The old goals. The old things of life. And we've got to cut them away, you know. You've got to deal with them, you know. We had a situation one time. I won't tell you where it was. Let's say it was on Mars. I'm trying to protect the guilty here. In the course of the conversation, there was a real problem in the assembly. We had to address this person. I'm not even going to tell you the gender. And as we approached this person, this person said, Well, that's just my character. That's just what I'm like. That's just me. That's just the way I am. And I said to that person, I thought you got saved. You cannot hide behind bias, character, tradition, and upbringing. you got to cut them loose. People talk about being prejudiced. person came to me one time and said, Listen, you don't understand our tradition. You don't understand how family life is with us. And I said to that person, because they were dark-skinned, I said, Listen, excuse me, you don't understand my tradition. We drug people like you behind pickup trucks where I come from. What do you think of that tradition? You can't hide behind your tradition or your family tradition or your culture. You got born again. This is new life. I had to go to, when I was at Arrowhead Springs, California, there was a black guy there and a white woman, his girlfriend. That just burned me up, man. I couldn't handle that. I didn't know why I couldn't handle that, but I couldn't handle that. I didn't even know him, and I hated him. And one day the Spirit of God got a hold of me and said, You go and apologize to that guy for what you thought in your heart. I had to deal with that issue in my life.
because raised in Mississippi, no black people ever came to our house. Nobody ever came inside of our house. They stayed outside of our house. You didn't have anything to do with them. They didn't go to your school. They didn't go to your church. They didn't go to work with you. They were black, and you were white, and you were superior, and they weren't even... Well, I won't even say it. That's the way I was raised. I got saved. Thank God I got saved. And I remember on one occasion when I went down to preach in Florida, and I said to my mom and dad, who were still struggling with that, you got to understand, it, this don't come overnight. I said, I'm going down and I'm spending a week down there with some friends of ours. And they were black. <laughs> we stayed with them. We love them. They're, they're children of God. We don't care what color their skin is. They're people of God. I don't even care if they're not people of God. We don't care what color their skin is. God had to deal with me. And listen, God may have to deal with you. You cannot hide behind that. God is bigger than culture and tradition and our biased opinions. And that will be a weight. And it will hinder you in the race. I got a whole long list here, and I'm running out of time. Let me skip down in my list. How about this one? Here's a good here's a good weight that you need to get rid of, and it is this: a good memory. A good memory can be a weight. I go all over the place, like many of us do, that travel and preach the word. Somebody will come up to me and they say, Now, Brother Joe, you don't know what they did to my wife 40 years ago. You know, I said, Well, that was 40 years ago. How are, they doing? How are you doing today? They can't forget it. They can't forget it. I'm not saying they were right or they were wrong. I don't know what happened 40 years ago. But I, I can tell you what happened today. We went fishing today. And while we were fishing... David Dixon got big tangle in his line. Big tangle. I never saw such a big tangle. And he's over there, and I felt sorry for him, so I'm trying to help him, you know. And I'm holding this thing, and he's holding that thing, and man, this thing, this is the biggest tangle I ever saw in my life. And after a while, you know what he did? Reached in there and got that knife, and he said, ping, he cut that thing off, man. He's not going to spend the rest of the day trying to untangle something. We're trying to catch fish. We're not trying to untangle lines. And there are people that have got things in their life that are so tangled up, they don't even remember the details anymore. It was 40 years ago, and it is a hindrance. It is a weight in their life. And if you've got that in your life, let me tell you something. Take a knife and cut it off today. Let it go, man. Let it go. This is the first day of the rest of your life. If you haven't settled it in 40 years, you're not going to settle it. Just let it go and commit it to God. The Apostle Paul had to. Forgetting those things which are behind, that's what he said. And pressing forth to those things which are before. A good memory can be a weight. An undisciplined life or mind can be a weight. Not believing God. You know, some people have a hard time believing that they're saved forever. That's a weight. They say, well, I, I know, I, I know what Jesus said, but I, you know, that's, you won't believe God's Word. He said, I give 
unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, you believe that or you don't believe that. And if you don't believe that and you're a Christian and you struggle with eternal security, that is a weight. And you're not going to be able to run the race. Listen, somebody told me, and maybe you're from San Francisco, so you'll know. But when they built that bridge, uh, dozens of men fell off that bridge and lost their life. And the contractor that built that bridge had a had a net made, cost them over a hundred thousand dollars, and they would take that big net and they would put it under the area of the bridge that they were working in, and and it, and, and it and it worked because ten men fell into that net and saved them, but that wasn't the biggest thing. There was a twenty five percent increase in the work that was done. Why? Because they knew if they made a mistake underneath, there was a net that would save them. Listen to me. Listen to me. Underneath are the everlasting arms. His banner over us is love. The angel of the Lord encamps round about us. We're hidden with God in Christ, and we rest in the hands of which no man can pluck us. Now, come on. If God be for us, who could be against us? You couldn't be any more secure than the promises of the Word of God but if you don't believe that, that's a weight for you. Peer pressure is another one. What others think, that can be a weight for you. Procrastination, that's a great one. Tomorrow I'm going to start running. I really am, you know. That can be a weight for you. Always concerned about others. That's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You got uh, Martha and Mary, and you got Peter and John, and they got problems, you know. Martha says to the Lord, What about Mary, you know? And Peter says to the Lord, What about John, you know? Don't worry about others. I can be a weight for you. You just take care of yourself. You just keep short accounts with God. You just strip down. Listen, Paul was on was on the ship, you remember? And they were, what was it, three weeks or some crazy thing in a storm? I can't even remember the, the details, but I remember this. They had to lighten the ship many times. Sometimes you just got to cut it loose. You just got to lighten the ship. You just got to get rid of stuff. Just baggage. Just stuff. The more stuff you got, the more time it takes to take care of it. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life. In closing, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer me. It don't matter to me. i got to answer it myself. Do you have any known weights in your life that are hindering you from living the life that Christ wants you to live? You got anything that comes to mind right now? And I'm going to ask you by the grace of God to deal with it. That's what He wants you to do. Not think about it. Not even pray about it. If you know that it is a weight, it is a hindrance, I'm going to ask you by the grace of God to deal with it. Let us, listen to me, let us lay aside every weight. And tomorrow morning, and the sin that so easily besets us. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for reminding us of things we already know. 
Thank you for jogging our memories and piercing our hearts. Thank you for replacing with Yourself and Your Word and Your promises all of the weights that we hang on to. Oh God, that we might strip ourselves tonight, that we might make a fresh start, that we might agree with God. It's just a ball and chain. It's just a hindrance. It's just a weight. It's not important. And by the grace of God, I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to get rid of it that I might run with patience the race that is set before me. For Christ's sake, amen.